Good morning. My name is Bruce Yarn, and I am one of the elders here at the church. And I told him this morning I'm known as the elder elder, not the term of respect, but just a reference to my age. Uh, today will be a first, be first time I've ever preached, and first time anybody's ever preached with a shirt tail tucked in the pants. But uh, we're going. <laughs> I'm going to probably get in trouble about that from Brandon, but uh, I'm going to say it anyway. Some of you may not know, but Brandon is my son-in-law, which makes me his father-in-law. And I say that out of a sense of a pride for most of the time. Uh, I remember when Brandon and Susan first started dating. Well, before I go to that, uh, you know, Brandon preaches a lot about his children his brother-in-law sometimes and his family and uh, his mother-in-law one time talking about how generous she was and the gifts that she gave, which really surprised me. I didn't realize she gave them that, those kind of nice gifts. But anyway, he hardly ever preaches about me and I think I pretty much know the reason why because when they first started dating uh, at age 13 and 14 or 14 and 15. Anyway, it was an early age and uh, he, he would call over there and, and say, may I speak to Susan? That deep voice. Well, I would tell Susan her teacher wanted to talk to her, but found out it was her boyfriend and uh, she came up to me one day and said, Daddy, uh, Brandon is afraid of you. And I said, good. <laughs> if it stays that way, we could have a long and lasting relationship. Then I felt bad because, you know, that wasn't a very good fatherly advice. So I said, Susan, you tell Brandon not to be afraid of me. Just stay out of my recliner, stay out of my parking place at the house and to treat you like a lady. And if he does that, we get along fine. Well, if I'd known they were going to get married, the list would have been longer. But anyway, it, uh, it, it, it did, it did go well. Uh, uh, happy Father's Day. I think John mentioned it earlier. Let's pray and get started, okay? Lord, thank you so much for loving us. Lord, you do love us and uh, you, you sent your son to die for us and because you did, Lord, and because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Lord, I just pray for your presence to be felt here in a very powerful way. Lord, I ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to indwell in me right now and let the words that I speak be your words. Lord, I don't want anyone to see me up here. All I want them to see is you. Just empty me, myself of me, Lord, and just fill me with your love and uh, your presence in my life. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for uh, this day. We thank you for all the many blessings. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We serve you, but most of all, Lord, we trust you and we do all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, Carol had asked me a little earlier in the week if I was going to do anything for Father's Day, and uh, I said, yeah, let me read you the scripture. And I didn't read all of the scripture. I just said, First uh, Peter 3, 1, it said, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands. And she... <laughs> She said, that doesn't sound much like a Father's Day uh, message. And 
I do want to use that this morning, which kind of surprised her when I did it in the first service. If you look more at that, it says, wise in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe in the word, and in my Bible, I've written under that or live out in their family, the Christian life. They may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. I think any Father's Day, what we should do is honor the wives because they're the ones that make a difference. I can promise you in part for whatever success that I've had in my business, in part whatever success that I've had in, as a father, and a large part of my spiritual growth and spiritual maturity, I owe to my wife of 51 years. She's the one that deserves the award. She has always believed in me and encouraged me. She has never expected more from me than she knew that I could give. She is, in our marriage, she has always been satisfied with what we could afford, maybe dreaming and hoping for more, but never pushing for more. And the one thing she always insisted on was that our church, I mean, our family be connected to a church. In the early years of our marriage, she would, uh, I would probably tell you that she was the spiritual leader of our family. I was working long hours. I had a minute mark business and a, a restaurant business, which required long, long hours. So it really fell on her. And uh, fathers and husbands, we're the ones that are supposed to be the spiritual leaders of our household. And that's God's plan and that's God's design. And it's time that we assume that role in our families. And how do we do that? the same way that Christ did for the church. We love, serve, sacrifice, and give spiritual guidance for our families. And that's my Father's Day message, but I would like to talk today about a life in Christ. And before I do, I want to read a couple of scriptures to you. I'd like to read from Romans 10. I think it's a scripture we're all familiar with, Romans 10, 9, 10, and 13. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then 1 Peter 3 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gen gentleness and respect. I asked Chase early in the week if he would mind singing Because He Lives. Uh, it's one of my favorite songs. Uh, and it, this morning when I came in, a little earlier, I was I was a little I was a little anxious and a little nervous about doing this, and I heard them practicing here, and he was saying that, and it just brought an instant peace to me when I heard that song. But to me, this song and this scriptures that I just read represent the Christian life. 
here on earth. Our Christian life has a beginning, our salvation, an ending in the hope and the promise of, of eternity. And in between, between that is the life in Christ, the life that we're supposed to be living as Christians. Think of the first verse of the song. It says, he lived and died to buy my, no, uh, pardon me, start over. God sent his son to love, heal, and forgive. He lived and died to buy my pardon, to redeem us. He died on the cross for us, for our sins. Uh, the empty tomb is there to prove that he is alive. Jesus did all the work for our salvation. We can't save ourselves. Look at Romans 10, 9 and 10. The scripture tells us all we need to do to be saved is to recognize that we are sinners in need of a savior, believe in our hearts that Jesus is the savior and profess with our mouths the faith that we have in that belief. Now look at the last verse of that song. And then one day, I'll cross that river. I'll fight life's final war with pain. Simply put, uh, that means we're going to die one day. I mean, the, you know, the mortality rate is 100%. So one day we're going to die. And then as death gives way to victory, I'll see the lights of glory and I'll know Jesus reigns. And I just love that, just that picture of knowing that one day you know, uh, uh, you know, oh, death, where's your sting? And, and that's the picture that I love to see that one day that I'm going to come face to face with the glory of God in the presence of Jesus. That is when our eternity in he heaven will begin. And that's the hope that we have, the hope that is that's First Peter is talking about. Uh, in the middle verse and in the course, we see the representation of a Christian life lived in Christ. We have the, you hear about the calm assurance. We can face uncertain days. All fear is gone. Jordan uh, preached on this several weeks ago when we turn our fear into a fearless faith. Life, this life that we're in now is worth the living because Jesus lives. This is where we are now as Christians, between salvation and heaven. And the question we need to ask ourselves sometimes is, am I living a life in Christ? How do I do that? Of course, the obvious answer is stay connected to other Christians, stay connected to a church, uh, study your Bible, uh, pray. Those, those are obvious answers. Uh, in Romans and in Galatians, Paul tells the Christians there to clothe yourself with Jesus. And I love that picture because you think about you, when you get up in the morning, you're getting ready to go to work. You clothe yourself. You put your, you put your clothes on. Wherever you're going, you, you, you don't leave out of the house naked, or, or you shouldn't if you are, but you, you clothe yourself. Women, you put on, you put on your makeup. You clothe yourself. You put on the best that you have. And that's what the picture that Paul is presented to them. When you leave out 
you invite Jesus to be with you. Uh, do, do we begin each day asking Jesus to walk with us throughout the day, asking the Holy Spirit to fill us? That's the, only, that's the source of the power that we have to live the walk in Christ, in Christ the way that we're supposed to, be, to each and every day. And uh, look, at, look at 1 Peter 3.15 again. Look at the second part. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone or everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, why would anybody ask you about the hope you have unless they saw it in your everyday life? Uh, uh, you know, you, you have people ask you all the time, say, hey, I like that shirt. Where'd you get that shirt? Or those are some nice shoes. Women especially, those, where'd you get those shoes? They're so cute. I hear that all the time. Or, you know, your, your hair looks nice. Who does that? People ask you about the things they're, they're interested in. How many times does somebody say, you know, I've noticed that you have a lot of joy and peace during some bad times in your life. Or I've noticed that you've always got a kind word for somebody. Or you've, you know, you seem to, you seem to, know exactly what's going on around, around you when it looks like everything's falling apart everywhere else. What is that? And that's what people would do. That's the life that we're supposed to live as we live in Christ, is that life that others see and ask us about it. And the question is, what gives you the hope that you have? Because our life is a life being led, filled with hope. It looks like hope to somebody, and it is hope. It is our hope. So when they ask about that, so uh, what, does, what does it look like? Let's turn to 1 John 4. Thirteen and 14. This is how we know that we live in him and he is in us. He has given us his spirit and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. He's given us His Spirit. We have His Spirit in us. Uh, Eric preached on that last week, did a great job about the, we, we need the Spirit in us. The Spirit, the Spirit comes in, the power of the Spirit is really released and manifested in us is when we ask Him to. But the Holy Spirit is in us. We have seen we have experienced Jesus in our life and we testify. And that's one of the most important parts. We testify. By to testify means to tell others in our work or in our words, in our actions, uh, in wherever we are, in our deeds, we live in Christ and he lives in us and others see that in us. As Christians, we all have a testimony of what a difference Jesus has made in our lives. And we need to share them with others. Those times we have felt God's presence, those times we have felt God's peace, and those times that we have experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in us. 
You hear so many people say, well, I don't have a testimony. Well, yes, we do. We all have a testimony. If, if, if we have given our hearts to Jesus and invited him to come into our hearts and to, to pray for salvation and profess that we do believe that Jesus is that Savior, somewhere along our lives, we've had a testimony. And uh, we need... The other day, I was in a, the bread store out on 301. I was, I had, for Willapon, they had asked me to go pick up some bread. I went to two grocery stores and couldn't find what I needed. So I finally went to the bread store out there and it was there. And as I was getting ready to leave, it was the clerk there at the, de- the, the cash register. The, the softest music was playing and as I listened, I realized it was praise music. And, I, and she was just singing and just sweet voice, just singing. And everybody that came up, so I went up there and she was singing, taking my money. And I said, you know, who says you can't praise God while you're working? She said, yes, sir, you're right about that. And that was a, that was a testimony to me. There's, there's somebody, you know, she wasn't in church. She was at work. She was living a life in Christ where she worked. And it it was, it, 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 it was a testimony to me. And it was one I needed because I was already angry because I had to go to two places and I needed to calm down and it calmed me down. And I thought to myself, God, you sent me here. You do this to me all the time. Uh, you know, I th- when you think about testimonies, uh, you think about uh, when Jesus healed the man that was born, born from birth and, you know, he went before the, 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 uh, the Jewish leaders, the, the church council, they wanted him to stop talking about Jesus. You know, Jesus, is, in fact, they said Jesus is a sinner because if he did this on the Sabbath, he can't be doing this. You need to quit talking about it. You do not need to be saying Jesus again. And we're going to want you to stop. And he says, you know... Uh, what he essentially said to them, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know, but this I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Now, he had a testimony to tell, and he was going to tell that testimony, and that's the way our testimonies need to be. 62 years ago, as an 11-year-old, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. My life in Christ began. Uh, I would like to share some of the testimonies where I have experienced the presence, the peace, and power of God in my life. Uh, My Christian walk is a little like uh, the two older couples sitting around the table talking, and one of them said to the other, said, "Uh, Frank and I have been happily married for 55 years. What about y'all? And the lady said at the same time her husband George was saying, she said 50, he said 47. And she looked at him and said, George, you know we have been married 50 years. And he said, yes, I know, but I thought she was asking the number of happily married years we've had together. Well, that's sometimes the way my Christian walk looked. There's been a lot of times that I've been close to to God, there's been a lot of times that I've been separated from God, been apart from God. Hebrews 2, 1, the writer gives this warning. We must pay the most careful attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. 
And drifting is the perfect word to describe how sometimes we in our Christian walk have lived apart from Jesus. Think about a boat on a pond or a float in an ocean. You just drift. And before long, you're separated from where you were to where you are now. And that is the same way that we drift away from Jesus. We were with him, and the next thing we know, we drifted away. It's slow, it's subtle, and it's gradual. But the good thing about it is when we come back, the trip back is a lot closer than the drift away was because he's there waiting for us. We're the ones that drift away. Jesus never drifts away or leaves us. In 1965, I received a full scholarship to play football at the University of Georgia. I reported to Athens in August after my senior year in high school for summer two-a-day practices. After about three weeks, my father, mother, and two brothers were coming to visit me on a Sunday, coming up for a day visit. I was excited, especially to see my family and especially to see my mother because after three days of going what through what I had been through with those coaches, I wanted to see somebody that I knew that loved me and I knew that person would be my mother and I was looking forward to that. They got there early and we went to uh, church and that was the way my family was. My mother and daddy on Sundays, we went to church, even if, even if we went out of town. But someone had told them about there's a Millage Avenue and you start up church, if y'all get a chance, go to it. So we went. Went to church, left, went out to eat, had a, spent an afternoon, get, had a great time that whole day. I was just, I was rejuvenated from just pre being in their presence for that amount of time. So around 5.36, they left. Uh, eight o'clock, the house mother in the athletic dorm came up to my room and said, your parents have been in a bad wreck in Lawrenceville, Watkinsville, Georgia, which is right outside of Athens. They have been transported to the Athens General Hospital. You need to go with me. I was 18 years old, 165 miles away from home. No family. My family was in a wreck. No friends, no church family, no one. I had never felt more alone at that particular time. When we got to the hospital, to the emergency room, I walked in there. Really, I, I, was, I was probably a zombie. I didn't know what to do. I saw someone approaching me who looked vaguely familiar. He came up to me, stuck out his hand and hugged me and he said, I'm Claude McBride, pastor at Millage Avenue Baptist Church. And at that moment, you know, I felt the power of the presence of God. I was not alone. Uh, he told me what had happened in the wreck, the wreck that they had, someone had pulled out in front of them. They had crashed into him. He said, your daddy's Sternum was crushed, broke some ribs. He had a uh, uh, collapsed lung. Your mother hit the windshield in the head, her face. She had uh, very critical and multiple facial cuts that they had to deal with. My two brothers were both all right. Neither one of them was hurt. But it would be, said they would be fine. It's going to be a long recovery, but they would be fine. So... For a week there, I was in Athens, my family in the hospital, but when I would go visit them, every time I went there, there was either Claude was there, the preacher, or someone from the church. Uh, and 
Finally, they healed enough to go home, but my relationship with Claude and that church didn't stop there. For the next four years, while we were in college, I started attending Middlesex Avenue Baptist Church and always took some players with me. So Claude's relationship with us grew and eventually Coach Dooley named Claude the first official football team chaplain and for 32 years, he had a spiritual influence on the lives of many, just as he had my life. Our friendship continued over the next uh, 48 years. In fact, any pin number, any four-digit number I use, I use their telephone number. I called them so much in that four years and over the 48 years, that was one of the only numbers that I could remember. Uh, then in 2013, Claude's wife, Gail, called me and said, Bruce said, Claude is not doing well. He's under hospice care. He's at home. And if you want to see him again, you need to come. So Carol and I, the next Sunday, went to Athens. And Claude was having a good day. And we visited, had a great visit. Talked to him a couple of hours. It was just really great. And uh, then as we were getting ready to leave, Gail brought out a blanket that you could tie knots on. It was a prayer blanket. I, I had never seen one up to that time. We said, would you like to tie a knot and say a prayer? So I said, sure. So we tied a knot and had a prayer and, uh, and left. Three weeks later, Claude passed away. And they, Gail asked me if I would speak at his funeral. And I, got to th I said, sure. And I thought about our 48-year friendship. And I thought about that last visit with him. I thought about how that relationship had started with him praying for me in a hospital the first time I saw him. The last time I saw him, I was praying for him in a hospital bed. And, and I, I just, it just kind of made me think of, you know, kind of the, the providence of God, the way God works. Uh, I thought about the thousands of lives that he had touched directly with the football players that he had come into contact with over the 32-year period he had served as the chaplain. And then I thought about indirectly all of those lives that were touched by me or any of these others that he had touched and we in turn touched others. So it just, it just kept growing, literally thousands. And this is the point I wanted to make at his funeral. And then I got to thinking about it. I said, wait a minute. And I thought about, about two weeks after the wreck, I thought about a question that I had asked Claude. I said, Claude, how did you know about the wreck and get to the hospital before I did? He said, the wrecker driver looked in your, mother's car, in your car and in your mother's Bible found a bulletin for our church and made a call and he came. And then it dawned on me. I said, the real testimony is this, this this record driver, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know his name. I don't know anything about him, nothing, nothing. I don't know where he's alive or dead because I didn't think about it to 48 years later. And then I got, and then uh, I, 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 sometimes I just kind of visualize that, thinking that, you know, he was probably on call that weekend, probably sitting around. At the time it happened, he could have been at the dinner table. He gets a call, you need to go pick up a, car that's been involved in an accident, get it off the road. Now, probably he could have 
could have been like I might would have been aggravated that I had to go to work when I was trying to eat. You know, all kind of things would go through your head like that. But anyway, you know, he went. And in, in the minute of someone else's greatest need, he made the decision to do more than just his job. All he had to do was go pick up that car and haul it off and be over. But he made the decision to do more. He found a bulletin in the Bible and made a phone call. And that, whatever happened, has happened between Claude and the lives that he touched over 48, 55-year period now was because of that one act, that seemingly insignificant act that he did that impacted the lives of so many. And that's the way God works. He can do amazing things with the least little things that we do. So we don't ever need to think, well, it won't make a difference. Look what, look what, this record driver, he is going to be told or has already been told, well done, my good and faithful servant. And that's what a life in Christ looks like when we take those opportunities to do those things. In a life in Christ, it would bring you peace even in your darkest moments. Forty years ago, my wife Carol was diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease. It's a type of cancer of the lymph system. My world was turned upside down. I owned my own business. I had three children under the age of eight, and I had to be strong for my wife and take care of her. A series of tests followed, as, as they do in staging the cancer. Uh, and this went on for weeks. It was the bone marrow test, multiple x-rays, a lymphangiogram, and a surgical procedure where they biopsied the lymph nodes and all the vital organs in the abdomen. Anxious moments accompanied each time that the test results would come in, but each test result came back with a good report. And, and so I, I, I was feeling good about that. There was no signs of the cancer spreading anywhere else. Frequent checkups, periodic tests, and three months of radiation treatments followed. And I felt like I was on a merry-go-round. I felt like I had to take care of my family. I had to do all these things. And each night, I couldn't sleep. And each night, I would reach across and lay my hand on Carol's arm and pray, God, please heal her. And then my prayers would be, God, tell me what I need to do. Tell me what I need to do. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep. And finally, one night, I, I prayed for healing. And then I said, God, I cannot do this. I'm giving it to you. I want you to look after Carol, look after me, and I trust you to do that. And I fell asleep, and I slept all night, night long. I've never felt God's peace in such a powerful way as I did that night. But I think, you know, I was praying for what I could do. God was wanting me to say, let me do it. Turn it over to me. I'll take care of it. Five years later, Carol was declared cured from her cancer. Then 12 years after Carol's cancer, our youngest daughter at age 15 was diagnosed with the same cancer. I was able to put up a strong and encouraging front because I'd been through it. I knew what to expect. I'd been through it with Carol. I was heartbroken and saddened to know that she was going to have to go through this. She was just a child. And I, if I could have traded places with her, I would have, but I knew I couldn't. But I, was, but I felt good about it. Just like in Carol's case, the series of tests began, but with different results. 
the early tests showed that affected lymph nodes were in the chest area. I started sinking a little bit. I was concerned. I had not, I, mean, I, I didn't, know, didn't know what to think. This was unlike what I'd gone through 12 years prior to that. Uh, then the final test, the surgical procedure came back and found out that this abdominal area was affected. At that moment in that time, I was a broken man. It, it, I had gone from being positive to know it, but each time it seemed different. And I was a broken man. And I did something when I got that last report that I, I, I don't do often, and there's no reason why I don't, but I just don't. And I cried. I wept at that time. Not because I wasn't mad at God, because at that time I had reached that point where I really couldn't pray, but I was disappointed in myself because I was the one that's supposed to look after my family and my children and everything. I was the one supposed to be doing that, and I wasn't strong enough to do it. So after a while, we brought her home, and Carol said, she took her back to her room, got her settled in, and, and I hadn't been back there. And she found Carol said, go check on her. And I said, okay. But the truth is, I didn't want to go. And the reason I didn't want to go, I knew I was too weak to offer her any kind of encouragement, anything positive. I knew I, I, knew I was like that. And I knew she probably had some questions in front that what, kind, what are we going to be doing? What are we, all these kind of things. And I didn't know if I could answer them or not, but finally I got up the, the courage and everything, went back there and sat on her bed. And she asked me the one question that I was not prepared for. She looked at me and said, Daddy, am I going to die? And in my weakened state, in my state of mind, my mental, physical, and spiritual state of mind at that time, the only answer that I could have given her would have been, I don't know. But here's what I said. I opened my mouth and I said, baby, you are not going to die. You are going to be well. I, those words, I spoke those words with a truth and conviction that I didn't have in me. Those words came out of my, in my voice, out of my mouth, but they came from the Holy Spirit. She wanted an honest answer from her earthly father at that time. And I needed an answer from my heavenly father. And he provided that. He gave me that answer. Matthew 10, 19 and 20 says, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be your, you speaking, but the spirit of your spot father speaking through you. And I felt that. I, I saw that happen. Five years later, after many doctor's visits and months of chemotherapy, she too was declared cured. And today, that daughter, Susan, is the wife of our pastor, Brandon, and the mother of three of my grandchildren. So praise God. God's message for us today is, in this world, 
filled with fear in the midst of a pandemic, in this world filled with racial division, in this world filled with hatred and violence, we, the church, the body of believers, we must be the new wine in this world. We must live out a life in Christ and him and us, experiencing daily the testimony God has in store for each one of us, testimonies of his love, his presence, testimonies of his peace, and testimonies of his provisions for us in our greatest hours of need. And then we need to share those testimonies with others and let them see that life is worth living because Jesus lives. He lives in us and our hope is in him. Amen. Today, if today is a day that you want to make that decision where you, and you've never done it, where you want Jesus to be Lord of your life. You want to make him uh, 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 in your heart and you want to ask God to forgive your sins and Jesus to uh, come into your heart and you want to make that decision publicly and ask Jesus to be Lord of your life. If today you, today you want to do that, I would just like to ask you to stand up right where you are and we'd celebrate with you and get someone to pray with you. Well, today, if you're a husband and a father and you know that you're not the spiritual leader of your family and you want to change that, this is a good day to pray about it. Today, if you have drifted away from Jesus and want to return to that life in Christ, today would be a good day to do that. As Chase sings, because he lives, I want you to remain seated in the seats where you are and using that seat as an altar, I want you to pray. Pray for any decision you have. Pray for, for anything you want to pray for. God wants to hear from us. He listens to us, he hears us, and he answers our prayers. At the close of singing, Chase will dismiss us in prayer. <laughs>